Let's uh, pray together as we turn to this passage. Lord, we ask for your help now as we open your word uh, that uh, what is history may become reality. Uh, what is uh, there put for us in perhaps terms which are difficult for us to grasp and understand. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit may make them simple and real and true to us so that we might truly worship you aright and live for you in this life and on this journey that you have placed us on as we go on to heaven together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So over Christmas we were thinking about the wise men. We were thinking about them coming to worship. Coming to worship, they opened their caskets, they they presented to the Lord Jesus. Though a little boy, they, they saw through the revelation of God to them that he was truly the Son of God. And we, we sort of opened up this whole matter of worship. It's really interesting. We come back to where we left off in Exodus, and the very same subject appears before us. And what we have here is what, what I've called a primer on worship. A primer on worship. What does that mean? Well, something just very basic very elementary, which we, we sort of start with in a subject, uh, but it's very important to grasp those things so that when we go on to more complex things, we've got a good foundation and a good basis. So a long time ago now, uh, I did my A-levels, and I did economics, and uh, not done economics before, so it was all very new. And uh, I can remember the very beginning of economics. We had a very good master. He got me through to, I think he got me through to a B. That's pretty good, isn't it? So um, he started by saying, I'm going to give you a primer. I'm going to give you a starter. We're going to learn the very simple things about supply and demand. We're going to talk about how a market works. Now, I'm not here to talk about economics, but what he was doing was he was saying, Boys, if you, if you understand the basics here, which we're going to do in the first few weeks, you'll be well set then as we go into more complex things. And it was true. When I did my finals, in my final exam, my professional qualification, I remembered what he'd said. And there was a question. Oh, smack on that subject. So what we learn in a primer is so very important for the more complex things. That's so much the case here. Here we've got just nine verses in Exodus, the passage we read. There are only nine verses in this one chapter. As we turn on and as we go on, most of the rest of Exodus is made up of God's instructions and then the completion of those instructions for building the tabernacle. There's a whopping 457 verses over 13 chapters. Now, if we just pitch in there without doing a little primer, then we're going to get lost. But here we have something which gives us the first principles and helps us in the whole matter of worship. Now, what is worship? We said, I think, last week, this is a big subject. It's a massive subject, the worship of God and all that it entails. 
But we've sort of seen the beginning of what worship is. A few weeks ago now before Christmas, flick back in your Bibles if you've got it open to chapter 19. Chapter 19 and verse 17. And you remember this, on the journey of the children of Israel, they've got to the wilderness, they've got to Sinai, and verse 17 of chapter 19 says this, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. To meet with God. That's the very beginning of worship. The very beginning of worship is the intention of man to meet with God. Here are these people led by Moses. The, the, the news went round the camp. We're moving out of the camp. We're going to go in front of this huge mountain. And we're going to worship God. That's the intention. I hope that was your intention this morning. As you got up this morning on this Lord's Day, on Sunday. To say to the children, say to one another, this is what we're about. Today's about worshipping God. Going to meet with God. If you're going to meet with somebody, will the other person turn up? Will God meet with us? You see, worship is when we go to meet God and when God comes to meet with us. And the wonderful thing is that although this God is immortal, He's invisible, He's the only wise God, we find He comes always to meet with His people. Go back to our reading. Did you notice that in the reading in chapter 20 and verse 24? As we unpack this passage, what we find is at the end of verse 24, God says, I will come to you. And more than that, he says, I will bless you. And worship is where we come to God. There's an intention to come to God. And where God comes to us. And his intention is to bless us. That's what worship is in essence. That's why we're calling this a primer. That's why we're saying this is, that we need to understand these basic things before we go on and think of all the complex things that are in that tabernacle. Worship involves the people of God coming to God and seeking Him, and it involves God coming to His people and blessing them. Oh, if we thought of that on a Sunday morning, we're going to worship God. Will he come? Will he be there? Oh, he comes to us. And his desire is to bless us if our desire is to worship him. This is a simple principle. It's there in the Old Testament. But you know, it's there in the New Testament as well. You don't have to look it up, but in James chapter 4 and verse 8, it says this, Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. It's when a man, a woman, a boy or girl, who knows God through the Lord Jesus as their Savior, comes to God. Amazingly, wonderfully, God comes to us. And, and here we are in Exodus, right near the beginning of the Bible, and there's that text in James right near the end of the Bible. And in a sense, the whole of the rest of the Bible is really all about the people of God coming to God and God coming to his people in all sorts of ways and God blessing them. That's what worship is. So as we start this new year, we, we, we thought about the pictorial image of the wise men 
If you were here last week, we, we, we thought in our mind's eye of these men that come, came into that house, and we, we, we sort of thought, what did they think when they saw this child? But they come to worship him. That's what they said. That was their intention. Told it to Herod. They did it in that house. We've come to worship him. They opened their treasures. And God blessed them wonderfully. So in a primer, we learn the basics. And here are four basic things about worship. If we do not get these, we won't go on any further. We won't understand the complexity. Just like in my economics. Uh, the master, I've been racking my brain trying to remember his name. I can't remember his name. But he said, if we don't get it here, guys, we're not going to understand it downstream. And it's the same here. And here's the first thing. God is holy. God is holy. Do you notice everything about this passage that we read? Only nine verses. After the giving of the Ten Commandments. We've already seen it. Before the giving of the Ten Commandments. But now we see it. There's no one like this God. God has said to the people, hasn't he? Exodus 20 and verse 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. There's no other gods before me. There is nothing like me. Nothing before me. Nothing now. Nothing that will ever be. I am God. He is holy. The term holy not only means pure and righteous and perfectly good, but it means separate, separate, different. God is entirely separate, holy, different from anyone or anything. And that is why he says in the Ten Commandments, and did you notice why he says here in verse 23, you shall not make anything to be with me. There's nothing like me. Don't even think about it, making anything to resemble me. Because there is nothing like me at all. If we're going to make a list, then we might do a bit of mind mapping and have all over the place. But if the list is properly to be a list of things with priorities, we'll put the most important things first, won't we? We'll reorder the list and say, no, I need to do this first and this second. That can wait a bit, and then this. Now, God has shown us his list. And it's in the Ten Commandments. These are God's priorities. Do you remember them? Commandment number one, verse three. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any, you know, a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the, the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God. In other words, I am absolutely sure of who I am. And there's nothing like me, no one like me. Even verse 7, you will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Not even the name of God. So precious. So much a priority to God is God. God has not changed. God has not changed. We must never forget that. You know what our propensity is too? Our propensity in worship 
is to idolatry. And God knows it. So right at the beginning of his list, he says, no idols, nothing to represent me, nothing before me. And here, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, did you notice that? He says that again. In verse 23, we've just read it. Nothing like me. Now, this is a bit of a spoiler alert for us. Because if you know your Bibles, we're going to get to chapter 32. Moses is a long time up there in the mountain. What do they do? They make an idol. You see, they've forgotten that God is entirely different, entirely separate, completely holy, almighty, victorious. His great name we praise. The first thing about worship is do not forget who God is. You know, you can forget who God is on a Sunday morning and meander to church without a thought. You can get here late without any real care or any thought. We never explain to the children, children, this is the most important thing in the week. This is bigger than anything. We've done some big things over Christmas. We've done some fun things. We've done some great stuff with the family. We've been to places. But we're going to meet God. And God is different. God is different. Number two. We are sinners. We are sinners. God is holy. Second, we are sinners. God gave the people tablets of stone, a list of things. And he gave them a mirror. And reflected in the mirror is himself. Do you remember we talked about identity some weeks ago? The identity of God is reflected in the commandments. Ah, but look in the mirror again. And your identity is in that mirror too. You and I are sinners. Sinners. And a holy God and sinful people don't mix. Do they? How shall I, whose native sphere is dark, in other words, what I'm in, what I do, where I live, my native sphere, the stuff of life, how shall I, whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before the ineffable appear? I looked it up last night. The ineffable, completely without description. That's God. God is holy. How shall I, whose native sphere is dark and whose mind is dim, before the ineffable appear, or on my naked spirit bear the uncreated beam? It's amazing poetry, isn't it? But what he's saying is this, I can't put anything around me to protect me, to hide me, to make me look good, 
so that God sort of sees a nice guy, a nice girl down there on earth. No, no, I am naked, I am open. God sees absolutely everything. There is no thought you ever thought. There is nothing you've ever done. There is no place you've ever been that God doesn't know it. How can I? How can I bear the uncreated being on me? Now, here in the wilderness in Sinai, God hides himself because if God really exposed himself, that uncreated beam of God's glory would just completely burn up everything in front of him. But what is happening here, you see, in this passage, is the people are being reminded that they're sinners. That they, they're sinners. That the Ten Commandments has shown them that. They're looking at their lives. They're saying, well, I've coveted. And, and I remember when I said, I hate you. And I've committed adultery. And I've lied. And I've not worshipped God as I should do. God's holy. And I'm a sinner. And yet the subjects worship. <laughs> Us sinners coming to God. And God coming to us, how, how can it be? Well, there is an application here. In these two things, there's an application which we must just touch on before we go any further. Because what does this produce? Did you, know, did you notice what it produced? It produced it before the Ten Commandments were given. It sort of exacerbates it now. Can you see verse 18? There's all these thunderings and lightnings and everything else. And what happens? The people trembled and stood afar off. They were afraid. They were very, very afraid. You see, when, when we realize God is God, and we realize we're sinners, then our first emotion, our first reaction, if we truly have realized these things, is fear. And you will know that you have not yet discovered who God is and you will not yet have discovered how sinful you are if you have not been afraid of God. That's a serious thought, isn't it? You see, these two things in worship bring fear and a heightened fear. This is God's identity. I haven't used Matthew Henry very much over recent years, but I dug him out, actually, last night or whenever this week. And he says this, the extraordinary terror with which the law was given, never was there anything delivered with such awful pomp. Every word was accented. Every sentence paused with thunder and lightning and much louder and brighter than anything ever. And why was the law given in this dreadful manner? It was designed once and for all to give a sensible discovery of the glorious majesty of God. The law was designed to give us an understanding of who God is and who we are. That's what it was there for. And you know, we won't go on any further in worship until we discover number one and number two properly. 
It is really interesting. doesn't matter which hymn book you pick up. We used to use Christian hymns, grace hymns, hymns of faith, whatever hymn books you used to use, we used to use before we used overheads and sheets and everything else. How did every hymn book begin? Well, it's really interesting. Number one, all people that on earth do dwell sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with fear his praise forth tell. Hymn number two, before Jehovah's awful throne, throne of great awe, you nations bow with sacred joy. Know that the Lord is God alone. He can create and he destroy. Hymn number five, the one we're going to sing at the end, eternal light, eternal light. We've already quoted from it. Hymn number 10. Let me just get there. Hymn number, hymn number 10. How shall I sing that majesty which angels do admire? Let dust in dust and silence lie. Get the picture? The hymn we sang at the beginning is number 12. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. By the time we get to hymn number 17, oh, how I fear thee, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears, worship thee with trembling hope and penitential tears. Did you notice, though, about fear here in verse 20? Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, to prove you, that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. You may say, Moses, you just contradicted yourself. You've just told us not to fear. Now you've told us that God, in doing what he's doing, in giving what he's giving, in being as he is, is coming to test us to see whether we really fear him or not. Doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense. You see, in worship, we come with this understanding that God is holy and we are sinners. And therefore there is an awe, a wonder, an amazement that we're actually here before this God. Think of those people. Think of them, hundreds of thousands of them. And Moses has said, the message had gone round the camp. We're going to meet God. And then they had this apprehension of who God was and who they were, but they're still there to meet God. And Moses says, God has come just to ensure that you understand who he is, to test your understanding, to prove your understanding because now we need to go on, and we're going to worship. So here's number three. A mediator is required. A mediator is required. Oh, that's so helpful, isn't it? Because if we left it at number two, there's no way worship can take place. But here there is a mediator. Do you remember back in chapter 19 and verses uh, four to six, we, 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 we learned together that God was a God of covenant. 
Chapter 19, verse 4, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, above all the earth. All the earth is mine. You'll be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God made promises, and Moses conveyed them to the people. God has said, you're my people. I've brought you here for a purpose. I love you above all the peoples of the earth. I've made a covenant with you. And I am God and I cannot break covenant. It is impossible or else I wouldn't be God. And I have come to meet with you. And you have come to meet with me. So God is not going to break his promise, is he? Even though it seems it's not possible. How can a sinful man come to a holy God? It's what they ask, the question, isn't it? Do you see what happens? Verse 18, we have all the thunderings and everything else and the tremblings. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll hear. Don't let God speak with us or we're going to die. And Moses said to the people, don't fear. Don't fear. So the people stood afar off, verse 21, and Moses drew near. Moses drew near. There's one here, Moses, who becomes, in fact, he's already become, hasn't he? We've seen it before, the mediator between God and man. And the message of the mediator is this, don't fear, don't fear. But Moses is long gone. Moses is long gone. This is so long ago and so far away, isn't it? So who's going to mediate for us now? Who's going to speak to us from God? Who's going to take our words to God? Well, we read it, didn't we? Isn't the Bible wonderful? Is it an amazing? It's one story. It's one great complete account of God's dealings with us. And it opens like a book. It is what we call progressive revelation. So we go back to the then and we say, but Moses died. And we can't stay here. And it's not like this anymore. But as we turn the pages of Scripture, we read this. We read that passage in Hebrews chapter 12. But you have come, not to that mountain. You've not come there. You've come to God. You've come to the church of Jesus Christ. You've come to those thousands upon thousands of angels worshipping God in heaven. And verse 20, 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Wow, isn't that amazing? The old covenant, Moses, all that he did was just a picture. It was just a primer. It was just a, it was just a, 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 a pointer, a signpost. The thing to tell us the reality. And the reality is this. Here this morning in Castlefields Church in Derby, on the 8th of January, 2023, we have a mediator. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Son of God who 
was born at Bethlehem, as we've been thinking recently, who lived that perfect life, who died upon the cross, who rose again, who ascended into heaven, and now is in heaven, and he stands, a real man like Moses, but without sin, standing there and mediating between you and God, between God and us. He is the one who speaks for us. You see why Moses says, you don't need to be afraid. Because Moses was just a picture. And the reality is Jesus. And if you know Jesus is your saviour, oh, he is the same God. He is holy. and You're a sinner. But there's a mediator who helps us in our worship, who brings God's word to us, and who takes our words to God so that we are brought together. And God says, still says, just as he said here in this passage, I will come to you, and I will bless you. But there's one more thing. Now we need this, because if we don't, if we don't have this fourth thing, it's not complete. And if we try and go on, and understand the complexity of all that comes next, all about the tabernacle, then the temple, and everything that happens right through to the end, and we see worship in heaven, in Revelation, we will not understand it without this one last thing. A sacrifice is required. A sacrifice is required. Not only is a mediator needed, but a sacrifice is required. Did you notice this? Did you notice in verse 22? Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Now you're not to make any other gods. I am entirely different from you, verse 23, but there must be an altar. There's going to have to be an altar. When worship happens, there's going to have to be an altar. And he talks about what the altar is. And he says that altar's going to have to be in every place. Do you see that in verse 24? In every place. Now, we're going to learn in due course about an altar being in the tabernacle, which moves along with the people. What God is saying here, this is a primer. This is, the, this, is a, this is right at the very beginning. This is the simplicity of it, that wherever you are, whenever you are, if you come to worship me, there has got to be an altar. There has got to be a sacrifice. There is no way that worship can take place you coming to meet me, and me coming to meet you and bless you without an altar. It is impossible. There needs to be a mediator, but there also must be an altar. And on that altar must be an offering. Can you see that? Verse 24, a burnt offering, a peace offering. We won't go into the detail. Leviticus chapters 1, 2, and 3, if you want to read it, what they were. They are pictures. What are they pictures of? Well, they talk about the shedding of blood. They talk about this offering being that which brings peace between a holy God and sinful man. There are very clear instructions here, aren't there, about the altar. Do you see them? The altar of earth. It's going to be an altar of earth. It's going to be very, very simple to place your sheep and your oxen where the blood is shed and where they're, where, where they're offered. It's going to be an earthen altar. Uh, altar. It's got to be 
very simple. It's got to be very plain. There's nothing ornate about it. There's nothing about the altar. There's nothing so wonderful or clever or, or, or elevated about the altar. Don't make it with steps, he says, because that will show your nakedness. <laughs> you can't come to me and on your naked spirit bear the uncreated beam. No, the thing about this altar, it's very low. It's very simple. There's nothing embellishing it. What is the key thing? The key thing is the sacrifice that's made on the altar. The blood that is shed because of that sacrifice. So from here, from this moment onwards, whenever the people come to worship a holy God as sinful people through a mediator, there's an altar and a sacrifice. Every time. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of animals are killed. Rivers of blood shed. And God came and God blessed the people because they did what he told them to do. They worshipped in the way that God prescribed. And when they didn't, then disaster. But one day, one day, an altar was laid. A simple cross was made on which the perfect and the final sacrifice was laid and his blood was shed. The one who is the mediator is also the sacrifice. Hebrews 10 and verse 19, Therefore, brethren, have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now there's detail there, and we're sticking with the primer. Let's just stay with this. There's a sacrifice, and there's bloodshed, and the altar is simple and plain. And Jesus is on that altar. And this is not a lamb, even though the lamb was taken from the flock and had to be a perfect lamb. Yet it is just a lamb. It is just an animal. It is just a picture. And every animal that is slain and every drop of blood that is shed is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we cannot come to God without a sacrifice without the sacrifice. So no longer blood of, of, of animals and sheep and goats, but the blood of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God is slain, that we might come. And we have here what we call the regulative principle. You may have heard of that. You may not have heard of it. It doesn't matter, but there's a principle that's being set here in this primer right at the very beginning here. The only things that God says 
to be included in worship are to be included in worship. God says you can do all sorts of things if you want to, but don't do them. I don't say that you should do them. I command you not to do them. No idols, no carved images, no this, no that. No, put all those things aside. There is only these four things you need to know about worship. I am holy, separate, different, invisible, immortal, the only God. You are sinners. There is no way you can come to me. There is a gulf fixed between us. There needs to be a mediator between God and man. That is the man Christ Jesus. And there needs to be a sacrifice of blood. And that sacrifice is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, shed for many for the remission of sins, so that we might come to God through him. And when these four things are in place, then we worship. Our intention is to come to God. And if we come in the way that he tells us to, his intention is to come to us. Bless us. That is the most incredible thought, isn't it? That this morning, coming to this room in a conference center, doesn't matter where the room is, when the people of God come together with this intention, God comes. They never forget these four things. They must be there or else worship is not true. But when it is to think that we can go away from this place, know that God has come and he's come to bless us. Let's sing our last hymn together. Our last hymn reminds us of these things. Tremendous poetry. We've had some old hymns this morning, and uh, they've, they've taught us so much, really. They've been commentaries on what we've been thinking of. And uh, Thomas Binney, uh, he writes in this poetic way, but, but seek to understand it from the things we've thought this morning about eternal light.
the sons of ignorance and night. That is what we are. Lord, we thank you that we might come to the one who is the eternal light through the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator, the Lamb of God, slain on the altar of the cross, that we might have access to you, our God. How we thank you that we can come to worship. And thank you, Lord, that you promise to bless us. May we know that blessing, we pray. Give us the fear, fear that we do not sin. Lord, please, that we might live for you in these days and worship you aright. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.